Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and this week we are going to do one of those shows that's inspired by one of your questions, although in this case it's two of your questions. This fall, about two weeks apart, I heard from two different listeners, both of whom are trans women, both of them who are trying to sort out their own sexuality and sexual pleasure in their changing bodies as they transition in whatever ways they see fit. And it's put me on like a little journey thinking about and talking about this and also has made me think about how to talk about this as a cis person who doesn't want to play into sort of the idea that trans people are their genitals or the sort of looky-loo shit that happens with trans people. So it's a whole complicated conversation. And that is why I brought in one of the most complicated women I know, (laughs) Rebecca Kling, who is a trans activist, advocate, performer, gal about town, uh, and a friend of mine. Rebecca, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, question mark. That that was, uh, um, <laughs> I've been called worse than complicated, I suppose. I mean I it in it- the best way. So welcome on the show. I've been meaning to have you for ages and we're finally here. Thanks for having me. As you know, the first thing we're going to do is go through the lightning round. First question is pretty easy, I think. What's been making you happy this week? What's been making me happy? There's been a, I'm based in DC these days and there's been a, conference in town where I've got to see some movement friends and colleagues that I haven't seen for a while. They're in from all around the country. Um, And also I have an Instagram for my cats. So I'm always just getting new, you know, slow motion videos of them pouncing on things and being jerks. Both of these things have been absolutely delighting my week in Instagram, both following (laughs) your Instagram at this amazing looking conference and also Meep and Moop, which are your cats, as you know. Yeah, uh, always delight me. What is some of the best sex advice you've ever received? Some of the best sex advice I've ever received is simply that your body works how your body works. And that sort of sounds um, dismissive or reductive. But what I've taken it to mean is it doesn't matter if someone else's body works differently in porn or if your partner's previous partner had a body that worked in a different way, or if what you learned in sex ed says something different than how you experience your body, your body works how your body works. And that is a neutral statement that 
I've found at its best can help sort of relieve tension for me of, am I doing this right? Is the what is the thing that I enjoy okay? And the answer is, unless it's hurting someone else non-consensually, um, yeah, your body works how your body works. Yes. Am I doing this right? Am I normal is like at the heart of so many sex questions and insecurities people have. Oh, absolutely. And it can be relieved just by that shift. So that's wonderful. Who told you that? How'd you learn that? That was something that I learned relatively early in my transition. This was back when I was in Chicago at the Broadway Youth Center, which does really great work with LGBTQ kids. Uh, And one of the facilitators in a conversation said there is an argument between two of the people who were there about what the right way to do something was. And the facilitator finally stepped in and said, your body works the way your body works. And if your body works differently than her body, that's not a problem unless you make it one and we don't need to make it one. Amen and hallelujah. If everyone could just internalize that one thing, what a wonderful world. Absolutely. Next question is, what's been making you the maddest or saddest lately about the sexual culture? Maddest or saddest, I think, has been continued news about anti-trans things coming from the Trump administration, the latest being the transgender woman who died in ICE detention and had clear signs of being beaten and had medical care withheld. They are claiming that the death was due to her HIV status. At the same time, she was dangerously dehydrated and clearly had been beaten. And let's just say, like, was almost certainly murdered in an ICE facility in New Mexico by ICE. Yeah. With all of our tax dollars, if we are taxpayers in the U.S. Not in an ICE-run facility, but in a privately-run facility. Oh. Which adds a whole different layer of grossness in terms of what our responsibilities are to people who are in our care. Whether they are guilty of criminal wrongdoing or not, we have a responsibility to people in our care, whether it's through ICE or the prison system or whatever. Oh, so many layers of horseshit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, as you know, the next question is, what is a myth about sex that you used to believe but don't believe anymore? One of the things that I have found sort of in tension with my own experience of growing up, of being a young adult and and of ultimately transitioning in my early 20s, is I never got some of the explicitly negative messages you hear. I never, my parents never sat me down and said that I shouldn't be trans or couldn't be trans even after I came out to them. No one tried to do reparative therapy. Like in many ways, for the time period I was living in in the 90s, my experience was relatively smooth and positive. At the same time, I picked up from countless messages in culture and on TV and in books and in school and in walking down the street that there was a right way to be a man and a right way to be a woman. Mm. And I was never going to be either Mm. because my body was developing in this way that indicated man, but that I knew was not right. And at the time, transitioning seemed impossible and unapproachable. So the, the myth that if I didn't fit those boxes, that was a problem, that was a bad thing, and that was going to mean, among other things, that I was never going to have a happy or healthy or, or enjoyable sex life. Oh. And did you just learn that that was not true by trial and error? I think some of it was trial and error. Some of it was finally finding a therapist who the metaphor she uses, which I use to this day, is talking about rather than an all or nothing, this is an a la carte. That rather than... <laughs> yeah sitting down and saying you have to get everything on the menu or you can get nothing on the menu. 
you can pick and choose and you can try something and then go back for more. You can try something and realize you don't like it. I can try it without writing in stone that that is my course for the rest of my life. Right. You put a little bit of it on your plate like you do at a buffet. Right. And then you go back for more of the stuff you really dug. I love yes. that because I love a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last and definitely not least, who is one of the bravest people who's out there right now trying to unscrew the sexual culture? So I'm going to say this is this is a threefer. The ACLU recently did a really beautiful trilogy of short videos about different trans people. And I would say those specific folks, as well as everyone else who is sharing their stories, people who are willing to say, this is my experience. I'm going to be open and honest about it. And it's important for the rest of the world to know because I'm not alone. Amazing. You I will say yeah. those videos are not flawless. So I don't want to indicate that these videos represent 100% of the trans experience, but they do a really beautiful job of telling the stories they're trying to tell. I'm confident that your listeners are savvy enough to say, okay, this is this person's experience and it's important. It also doesn't mean that every trans person ever is this. I like to think my listeners are pretty savvy. I would tend to agree. But I'm glad also to spell that out sometimes to help them be increasingly savvy. And also that's a great transition into talking about the subject of this show, which is on the meta level, why is it so hard to find trans-centered sex ed on or off the internet? Yeah. I think the bigger question, why is it so hard to find good sex ed resources period. And this is changing. You know, I, I would say even when I was in sex ed classes or, or getting books on, you know, your body's changing, I was getting books from, you know, these liberal middle-class parents who there were different shapes and sizes of bodies. There were bodies in wheelchairs and there were bodies that were um, differently abled. And for the time that was incredibly progressive of not just showing white, um, attractive 20-something uh, bodies in sex and sex ed information, but still didn't talk about anything around transgender identity, only touched on briefly LGB identity. And I think for so many young people, and, and for so many adults for that matter, they aren't getting any good sex ed that yeah. they aren't having to go find on their own, let alone. That's a good place to start, you know, that sex ed in this country is so buried and shamed. I mean, there are some amazing resources like Scarletine, if you know where to look on the internet, but so few people even know to look. Right. And then I would say layered on top of that around trans people specifically, even in good sex ed, the sex ed still often boils down to how reproduction works and how STIs work and nothing else. I mean, I don't call that good sex ed. I call that disaster prevention sex ed. Okay, that's fair. I guess a better way to say it, because I absolutely agree, is not fact-based, science-based sex ed that is not only about abstinence is still far too often, because I agree, the gold standard of sex ed should be so much better than just reproductive education. Yes, I think that there's, A, a bunch of sort of stigma and erasure of trans people, you know, of course. But on top of that, there's this respectability politics that I think the trans movement is still really trying to get people to talk about trans dignity and trans lives and the existence of trans people without 
defaulting to talking about genitals, right? Like, right. That's so much of the way bias and this like weird looky-loo fetishization and dehumanization of trans people expresses itself is in conversations that center on genitals. Right. And the trans rights movement appropriately and correctly pushes back against that because I, like anyone, like you, like your listeners, like anyone else in the world, am more than just my genitals. And so I fully agree from a political standpoint that the trans rights conversation can't and shouldn't be about that any more than access to reproductive health care. Sometimes we talk about genitalia, but is about so much more than simply the fact of treating a vagina or treating um, a person with a vagina. And similarly, I think with, with trans people or with trans rights, we want to make sure that we're talking about the whole person. And so I agree with you that even for trans folks who are interested in these conversations, it can be tricky because there is that balancing act of actually I am a sexual person and want to know how to be sexual in my body in a way that works for me. And also there is a really problematic history of only focusing on trans people's genitalia. Right. And that history extends into the present day. Yes. Yeah. And we can anticipate that it's not going to be gone by the time this episode airs um, into the future. Well, what well. I've, I've been working my butt off. I think if you could just get your shit together, maybe it would be. <laughs> Look, that's fair. That's totally fair. You know, I was talking to someone about how excited and interested in this episode I was. And I said that I feel like trans politics right now are maybe like have a relationship to where LGB politics were 10, 15 years ago Mm -hmm. um, in the sense of sort of like trying to be seen as fully human. And there's a certain amount Mm -hmm. of assimilationism that comes along with Mm -hmm. that. And, and again, I think you're right. Like there are real reasons for that approach, but then you wind up sort of, scrubbing the movements free of sex and sexuality, because that's what people want to fixate on. And I think that's a really good parallel as well, because there are still for so many trans people among the first questions are, well, wait, who do you have sex with? How does that work? Yeah. And similarly, you would have, and, and I know not everyone is beautifully educated about this, but in these days, it is less common to have someone say, wait, how would two women have sex? How would two men have sex? Right. And so those questions. Who's the man and who's the woman and that kind of stuff. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And I just feel like, I feel like I've seen like a cousin of this narrative before and I've lived through it myself as a queer woman in the 90s. Um, Obviously it's not the same, but it like, it has a rhyme to it. Yeah. Obviously a lot of movement has been made on LGB rights since then and possibly because of that strategy but also a lot of people were hurt and left out and marginalized by that strategy and it's it's just really fucking complicated one of the um things that i found the most interesting so i work at the national center for transgender equality i'm the education program director there although i should clarify i am not speaking with that hat on and i'm speaking purely as private individual rebecca kling um but one of the things that's been really rewarding about that job is being able to participate in some of these conversations about how do we want to talk about these things. And one of the things that stuck with me is I was in a training where we watched one of the first marriage equality ads from the early 2000s on like a large political scale and one of the last marriage equality ads from before the Obergefell ruling. And 
the first one was one or two people, a, a gay person or a couple, talking against a neutral background about the right to marry. And by the end of the um, push before the Supreme Court case, the couple, the, the gay or lesbian couple, was seated around a dinner table with their whole extended family, and it was their family who was doing most of the talking. Aww. And it's for exactly that reason that we don't exist sort of floating in a neutral vacuum against a beige background. And it's more effective to learn about people and connect with them if you see them in their community in context with the people who care about them. And I think similarly, we are still not sure 100% how to talk about trans identity and trans rights in a way that is going to make sense to the most people possible. And we're getting better and better. It was phenomenal that this past election, the Massachusetts ballot initiative, or I think it was question three, not ballot initiative, it was technically. question three. Yes. And... 69% or yep. 70% of the voters voted to maintain protection for transgender people. In Anchorage, Alaska, we saw the same thing where voters, not that high of a number, but more than half voted to re retain transgender protections. And so we're making progress, but I absolutely agree that there are still these potential traps and pitfalls that our opponents absolutely want us to get into that sort of devolve into conversations about genitalia. Okay, so but for all those reasons, I think it's it's extra hard to find actual s sexual information for about sort of trans bodies and transsexuality. Did you find that when you were sort of coming out and transitioning and sort of developing your own relationship to your body as trans? Oh, absolutely. And that was one of the things that was both frustrating and as we've just been talking about, there can always be more information to help people in the process of figuring out how to transition in the way that's right for them. But in particular, information about how to be trans and sexual in a healthy way that isn't, you know, going to the she-male section on Pornhub. Right. And there isn't a ton of great information about that. And and ultimately, as has often been the case in my life, I had a moment of, well, if no one else is going to do it, then I friggin' am. So I put together a while back a guide called Trans Women Plus Sex Equals Awesome. I was looking this morning, and I think it is no longer on the site it originally was. Um, I'll follow up with you after the episode, and we'll see if we can figure out where would be a good place to post it. Yes, um, let's get that back on the fucking internet. Yeah. The two big resources that I found that I would encourage people to check out are Fucking Trans Women, FTW, Volume 1. And if you search for Fucking Trans Women Zine, you'll find it. And we'll also put that in the show notes. Sadly, I don't think there was ever a Volume 2 or a Volume 3, but I'm a big fan of it. And then um, if you search for Brazen, B-R-A-Z-E-N, Trans Women Safer Sex Guide, um, that has some great information as well. Unfortunately, all three of those are looking at the perspective specifically of trans women. Um, I'm not familiar, and it may just be because I haven't sought it out because I'm not a trans man myself. I'm not familiar with great resources that are similarly structured for trans men. That doesn't mean they aren't out there, just that I haven't come across them. So I would certainly love to hear about that if people are aware of any. Yeah, listeners, if you know of any such resources, email me at unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com or hit me up on Twitter at JacquelineF and we will get that information out to everybody. Although I should say that because these two 
listener questions that inspired this episode are both from trans women that we're focusing specifically on trans women on this episode. Like this episode isn't the end all be all. It's just a beginning of a conversation. Um, and if there's interest out there for a similar episode for trans men, I would love to put that together. So let me know that too, my fine listeners. So should we get into like the specific advice questions? Should we start talking about it? Yeah, I had one more thought and then I would love to dive in. Um, I also think it's tricky because there's a temptation for allies who want to do the right thing but don't totally have the resources to say, um, okay, well, if you're a person with a penis, you can do things that work for penises. And if you're a person with a vagina, you can do things that work with vaginas. And there is truth to that. There's truth that for trans women who have penises, absolutely, there's stuff that works for cisgender men with penises that'll work on trans women and feel good. Similarly, for trans men, or I should also say for non-binary genderqueer folks who have vaginas, there's stuff that'll work for cisgender women who have vaginas that might also feel good for them. But that leaves out a bunch of language about talking about things. It leaves out how hormones can impact the body during hormone replacement therapy. And it leaves out how surgical modifications to the body can add different layers of complexity and figuring out what feels good. Yeah. I mean, and that's actually what these two questions are about. One is from a woman who's going through HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and another is a woman who's gone through surgery. And both of them, both of them sound like puberty related questions to Mm -hmm. me, sort of like an adult puberty. Does it, does that work as a metaphor? Oh, I absolutely think so. Like my body's different now and I don't know what to do. Going through puberty sucks. At all, it sucks even more if you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or whenever you're transitioning. And there's um, no and, and there's no like, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, for you, right? Right, like, <laughs> right. That would be really funny. Oh my God, somebody needs to write that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's the first advice question. I'm leaving their names out because I only have their Twitter handles and I did not get permission in advance to use their Twitter handles. So both of these are going to be anonymous. Hi, I'm a big fan of Unscrewed and your other work, and I've been wondering if there's a chance you could do another episode related to having sex while trans slash having sex with trans people. I loved the episode you did with Toby Hillmeyer, and Nerve Endings was something I really needed in my life. Uh, That's a wonderful episode uh, centered around this collection of trans erotica. For folks who are interested, you should definitely go back and listen. Uh, I thought it was, I thought like thinking about the trans erotic was actually really mind opening for me. Um... 
But I had bottom surgery something like seven months ago and trying to navigate the questions of pleasure and what works for me has been really difficult and frustrating, although occasionally rewarding, in part due to lack of resources. There's a few resources out there on having sex with trans women with penises, and I'm always excited when I see that stuff going around, and I feel like it's a really important thing to be out there, but learning to navigate my body all over again has been really difficult. Personally, I suspect that part of the reason we don't talk about it that much, even within trans activism, is because it kind of plays right into the hands of the mainstream media's endless fascination with our junk. Thank you so, so much. Fight on. You fight on too. Yes. So where should we start? So I want to start with a couple of things that are going to sound familiar to anyone who has listened to Dan Savage's show or really any sex advice show where they're talking to a listener, usually a cis female, a cis woman who has never orgasmed or, or has a real hard time orgasming. And that's going to be to continue that exploration and to try different things. What does it feel like with lube versus without lube? And with having a glass of wine beforehand, with smoking a joint beforehand, and really playing with all of the different variables? Because it's sounding like this person is occasionally having some luck, that she says things are occasionally rewarding. And I can remember from experience after I had bottom surgery, the sort of frustration of figuring out how things work with new plumbing because that wasn't something I'd had a problem with before. You know, I'd had at that point almost 15 years of a body, of a, a post-pubescent body that was able to receive sexual pleasure from the penis between my legs. And so figuring out not only how to heal from surgery, but then how to rediscover a connection with the reconfiguration of what was between my legs took time. Oh my and God. And sometimes that was frustrating and sometimes that was also rewarding. And part of the advice I got during that period, which is absolutely easier said than done, is to take away the goal and really think about it as the journey. So for this, to, to speak less metaphorically, rather than trying to figure out how to orgasm, make the goal of where are my nerves and where do I have the most? Or make the goal of do I like more or less pressure? Or make the goal of do I like more or less vibration? And really approach reconnecting with your body with a sense of curiosity, of inquiry, of maybe even if it works for you with like some scientific humor of being the person who's studying how things work for you. And I don't think that broad advice is fundamentally different for trans folks than it would be for anyone else. No, it sounds super familiar to me. The thing that isn't familiar for me is the idea that you would wake up and have post-surgical pain and then have brand new genital configuration like you know puberty as much as it feels sudden when you're 11 or whatever age like it's pretty gradual compared to what we're talking about the thing that I most want to counsel is like patience and not expecting it to feel awesome right away like it's just it seems like you're gonna just need a lot of patience with yourself because it's just asking a lot of yourself to just suddenly instantly know what's perfect. You know, like, I mean, there's no perfect for any of us, but like, boy, howdy. Yeah. And I think, again, being open to the way your body works is the way your body works. I would really encourage this person. It sounds like she's really doing what she needs to be doing and coupling that with 
sometimes using porn, sometimes using erotica, sometimes just using your imagination, figuring out if there are substances, weed, alcohol, delicious donuts. I don't know. I'm sure that works for someone. If there are things that are going to help you get in the right headspace or the right frame of mind and just keep exploring and finding out what's going to make your body feel good, whether or not that's what works for someone else. And I feel like I feel sort of bad that these are super fuzzy, like, go get in touch with your body, sort of second wave feminist messages. <laughs> um, I kind of love that they are, actually. Like, I mean, that's how we all figure it out for ourselves. It's just that this is such a very sudden change. I think it must feel so acute and scary. And then couple that with how much silence there is about it, how little information, you know. I, and I think similarly... This is advice that I, I give and am not great at taking for myself, but being okay that it might be hard and unpleasant sometime. I remember the first time I was with a partner after I'd had surgery, I thought I was in a place where I was ready and maybe five minutes in started sobbing. Aww. Fortunately, I was with a partner who was very sweet and very attentive and loving and caring, and that was not a problem, but it was a sign of where I was with my body and what I was comfortable with and ready for. And can I ask I, you a personal question about that? Yeah. What was that about for you? I think it was about an, an entirely different experience of being vulnerable than I'd had before. Oh, yeah. Because certainly I had been with partners before who had seen me naked or who had seen me in different stages of undress and seen different parts of my body. And I'd sort of worked with them to, to figure out what was fun and what worked for us. But this was something that a part of myself that I had quite literally not shown to anyone mm. and still had a lot of feelings about myself in terms of the recovery, in terms of exploring what felt good. And I think it was a combination of relief of this person who cared about, who I cared about also still caring about me. There was um, fear of what they would think and how they would react there was some amount of just sort of tension release, trauma release mm. of surgery is, is a violent act. Yeah. And of being cut through and traveling. And this was right before the Affordable Care Act uh, non-discrimination stuff went into effect. So my insurance did not cover it. And having some amount of feelings of not questioning that it was the right decision. I absolutely know that it was the right decision. But in a perfect world, I wouldn't have had to spend 20 grand on something that insurance, I would argue, should cover. And that puts so much pressure, like... Right. Yeah. So it was it was a lot of different things that I think at the core were different experiences of vulnerability and ju just that being very raw. Yeah. And it sounds like our listener is just feeling also very vulnerable. Yeah. And I'll say for my timeline, I was able to get myself off, I think, at about six months out. But I don't think I was having partnered sex for another six months, at least beyond that. And again, there's no one right timeline. Yeah, that's just one person's timeline, everybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a yardstick. Right. But the more people's timelines that we hear, the more information we have, I guess. Well, and that's one of those things that there are endless lists of things I wish there was better data on. Yeah. One of them would be the recovery time for trans people having different types of surgeries. And we have some good anecdotal data based on trans people and based on their surgeons' experiences. And we have some good community data 
as well as just sort of comparing similar surgeries that are not on trans people and getting a ballpark of how the body heals itself. But to have a bell curve of when people are able to get off post-surgery and a actual hard statistic on what that looks like would be really cool. And that's one of those frustrating things that right now we just don't have. Can I ask you one more question about surgery and then we'll move on to the other question, which is about hormones? Sure. Did your doctor or somebody in the medical establishment when you were getting the surgery talk to you about sex and sexuality and what to expect? Yes and no. Both my therapist and my surgeon made it really clear that like with any medical procedure, there are no guarantees. And that at one point I had to sign something before going into surgery, absolving my surgeon of responsibility if there wasn't recovered sexual function. Wow. At the same time, everything I have heard from doctors, from therapists, from other trans people, from researchers doing work on human sex and sexuality, that the brain is really good at figuring out how to feel good. And in particular, if you go into surgery having been able to orgasm beforehand, anecdotally, it is much more likely that you're able to afterwards because your brain is used to that feeling of feeling good. And what the doctors I heard this from argued is that it knows how to get back there, that there are stories of people in horrible states of paralysis or of of numbness still figuring out how to make their body feel good, even if it's an earlobe or a neck or their mouth. Because that makes so much sense. They might not have other senses or not have other senses. They might not have feeling in other parts of their body. And I would be fascinated and and it's too late for this now, but I would be fascinated to have seen like a brain scan of what it looked like getting off before and after surgery. But my body was able to figure it out. And I went in pretty confident that it would because I had done it before and because I had found different ways to make my body feel good even in a body that wasn't right for me and that wasn't matching my authentic identity, I do wish there was more information. And going back to some of those other resources, like the Brazen's Guide, Women's Safer Sex Guide for Trans People, or the Fucking While Trans Zine, or some of those things, I wish that there was more concrete and trans-specific information about sex and sexuality post-surgery, But I do feel like I was at least given a little bit. So interesting. The brain, you know, it's a cliche for a reason. Like the brain is the biggest sex organ, right? Oh, absolutely. And I would be surprised if there wasn't a correlation, if the study ever gets done, between people who have had experience getting off before they have surgery, being able to afterwards. Yeah. Which is not to say that anyone is doomed or that, people who haven't been able to get off before surgery won't be able to afterwards. That's absolutely not true. But I would be curious of the differences in experience. All right, here's our second question. Hey, Jacqueline, I love your show and mega appreciate your work. Thank you. I was wondering if you could maybe help me out. I went to a Catholic high school and so my sex ed is pretty lacking. I've been trying to educate myself to make up for this. However, I have a new wrinkle in this, my transition. I've been on HRT for about six months and some of the things that used to be pleasurable for me aren't anymore. I'm totally lost here and was wondering and hoping that you could maybe point me in the direction of some good resources to help me better work with my changing body. So let's talk about how hormones affect the body. Yeah. So hormones impact what are called our secondary sex characteristics. And that's basically all of the things we associate with physical sex 
That's not what's between your legs. So hormones, mostly estrogen in people we consider women in our culture and mostly testosterone in people we consider men in our culture and in our society make a big difference. And particularly during puberty, testosterone is a big part of what causes people who have testosterone pumping through their bodies to grow taller and for their voice to drop and to grow body hair in more places and facial hair. And for estrogen, similarly, is the big thing that causes people we generally perceive as women in our society to not grow as tall and to not have a voice that drops and to have fat deposit on their chest and become breasts and to have their hips widen and all of those other things that at puberty start to differentiate the physical bodies of boys and girls. But it's not as much physical differences in someone's bone structure or all of those other things that estrogen and testosterone start changing. One of the many things that those change is people's responses around sex and sexuality. This is to say that biology plays a role and that I would disagree with anyone who says gender or sex or sexuality are entirely biological or entirely social constructs. No, I it, mean, almost nothing is entirely one or the other. The, right. the answer to nature versus nurture is yes. Right. Absolutely. And testosterone, among other things, generally is a hormone that increases sex drives and it makes it easier for the body to get off. Um, estrogen similarly impacts and, and sort of lessens or places a layer over a sex drive. And particularly for someone who has a penis and is used to orgasms being really clearly defined, estrogen can make the body change in ways that orgasms either feel different or aren't as clearly defined or um, don't work in quite the same way. Interesting. I feel like I want to ask you personal questions and I don't know if that's okay. You can ask them and if I'm not comfortable, I, I'll say so or I won't answer them or I'll make something up. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely just make shit up. Do you take hormones? So I'm still on estrogen. I no longer need to be on testosterone blockers because I no longer am producing the high levels of testosterone. All bodies have a little bit of estrogen and a little bit of testosterone. Sure, yeah. It's sort of the balance. and. The lymph nodes produce a little bit of testosterone. I'm talking a very, very, very small amount that's enough to show up on blood work that I don't need to go on testosterone supplements because if your body has none, that can be a problem. Um, but I do need to take estrogen and I'll need to take that the rest of my life. Did you start taking estrogen before you had surgery? Yes, I started taking um, estrogen and testosterone blockers as part of my transition. And how did, like, how did that shift your sexual experience? Sure. So some of it is physical. So I grew breasts and I truly don't know if those came with new nerve endings or if it just reconfigured how those nerve endings are connected to my brain, but different parts of my body felt good in different ways. Oh. Similarly, as I was going on hormones, that I sort of felt like my experiences of being sexual while quote unquote, on testosterone while my body was producing testosterone were kind of linear. It was like friction, 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 orgasm. And when I went on estrogen and, and since then, both before and after I've had surgery, it feels more like plateau based, like it goes up and up and up and then maybe it stays and you need to do something else and it goes up and up and up and maybe it stays and finally you sort of get over that hump or get over that cliff. And I have heard anecdotally that that is broadly true for a lot of the population. And I've- I mean, that um, the second is definitely more how I experience sexual stimulation. And when I've done performances or when I've done workshops about this, I'll pull the audience and, and do hands. It's never been below 50%. It's often much higher than that of both 
men and women or people I perceive as men and women who raise their hands to say that those graphs look a little bit familiar. And it's not that one is better than the other. It's that it's different. Right. And that I went from really understanding how my body works and how to give myself pleasure or get pleasure to not knowing that quite as well anymore. So we're back to the idea of sort of second puberty. Yeah. And some of that is going to be the exact same advice of exploring and trying different things and of using tools, whether it's lube or vibrators or other toys that you might not have tried before. A couple of specific things I'll say, vibration can also work for penises. It might want to be through some layers of cloth or fabric or blankets because the way nerves are, are sort of exposed on a penis is a little different than how a lot of the clitoris is buried in whatever language you want to right. use. And Natal I would imagine, or, yeah, I mean, I would imagine also like you want to experiment if you have a penis with whether you want the vibrations at the base or the right. tip or, you know, everyone's going to be built different too. Similarly, I would say I noticed that lube became much more important after being on hormones for a while because of how my body was working and what felt good and what felt sort of overwhelming. And then I would also say the prostate is a fun toy. For anyone who owns a prostate, I would encourage you to explore if that is a place that can also give pleasure, because certainly that's something that is an option for trans women and is one of the few things trans women get to do that cisgender women can't do. Also, can we talk about something that blew my mind from fucking trans women? Please. Which I'm forgetting what she calls it, but there's a thing you can do that I did not know about that where you basically like tuck the balls up into mm -hmm. the sort of cavity that you can tuck balls up into and you can finger... The cavity that's... Inguinal canals. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I was like, this is a whole sex act that I have never heard of, and I talk about sex for a living. So I am not going to try and give a visual for this, because I just don't have enough language around anatomy. But I will say, if people check out either fucking trans women, which is the zine, or we're going to find a way to get trans women plus sex equals awesome back online, as well as the brazen guide trans women safer sex guide there are some great drawings and labeled diagrams of what is effectively a type of penetration into the cavity where the testicles dropped from and again is something that only someone with a penis can do and i never found amazing for me but is certainly something that i would encourage people to try if they're exploring um, different ways that their body might be able to give them pleasure. It sounds so interesting to me. And certainly is not something that was talked about in uh, sex ed. The other thing I would say is whether or not a trans person has had surgery or even gone, gone on hormones or had any sort of physical body changes, I think it's a great experiment to think about parts of your body using different names to figure out what feels good. Because that's also something that we are taught that there is one category of names for penises and one, whether it's dick or junk or, or whatever, and one category of names for vaginas, whether it's pussy or cunt or whatever. And you, again, your body works the way it works. You can call your parts what's going to work for you. And there's a really wonderful workshop that I've been to a couple of times now that Bear Bergman and Toby Hill Meyer, both Yay. of whom are awesome and trans both of activists. And have been on my show. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. They do, or I've seen them co-teach a workshop on trans sex and sexuality. And they started off with a brainstorm of different names for genitalia, ranging from things like a hen, because it's not a cock, it's a hen. Oh, 
Oh, I like that. And a whole host of things that some of which I'm sure your listeners have heard before, like cock or pussy or junk, some of which are borrowing language from anatomy already. So I've heard trans women who have penises call it their clit or their lady clit or their trans clit. And I think exploring how you think about your body has a huge impact then on what feels good and what feels sexy. Because I certainly know when I am able to get in the mindset of looking good and feeling good and being in my body, then whether I'm alone or with a partner, things are going to feel better. And part of that was how do I want to imagine myself existing in the world? And I don't mean that the same way as like fantasizing about having a certain weight or a certain bra size or whatever, but more just in how is the world and in particular, how are my partners going to see and going to gender my body? Because before I had surgery, I possessed a penis. I had a factory original. Sometimes the other way I've heard people talk about it is if you've had surgery, then you have the aftermarket accessory. (laughs) Thinking about what language I want to use to talk about these parts, I also found hugely helpful. And again, I think that's something that people who aren't trans can also explore. But particularly for trans folks, when there is so much gendered language about our bodies and about what they mean, that I think that's also something that is entirely in your head, that's 100% between your ears, but can be really surprisingly empowering. Yay. Well, I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Thank you for coming on and having this critical but somewhat dicey conversation with me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for for taking a swing at it. Yeah, absolutely. And where can folks find you and follow all your awesome work on the internet and beyond? Sure. So my personal website is RebeccaKling.com. That's K-L-I-N-G.com. I'm on Twitter at Rebecca Kling. And then I'm on Instagram, uh, Rebecca underscore Kling. And then my cats are Meep, M-E-E-P, and Moop, M-O-O-P, on Instagram with underscores instead of spaces. And both you and your cats are excellent follows. I'll just come out and say, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at Jacqueline Effable and on Twitter at Jacqueline F, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. You can find everything I'm up to at my website, JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com. And you can find this fine show wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Or if you wish it was somewhere else that you like to listen to podcasts that it's not, let me know and we'll try and make it be there. Uh, You can find us most of the regular places like Apple Podcasts and Acast and Stitcher, etc. While you're there, make sure you subscribe. We're going to have one, maybe two more episodes before we take a little winter break. So make sure that you are subscribed so that you know when we are back in your feed. Uh, And while you're in there, as always, give me a little... Hanukkah, belated Hanukkah present and give me five stars and a little review. It helps other people find the show. Uh, Unscrewed is produced by yours truly, Jacqueline Friedman, and edited by the fantastic Natalia Rodriguez. Our in and out music is by the Pink Tiles and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was developed in collaboration with the establishment who also developed the sound cues. Until next week, I am wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.